Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. ...that you all are. Hallelujah! Welcome your neighbor to church. Give a good compliment. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Nobody seems to always share the compliment to my side. Nobody throws any compliment at me. <laughs> but it's all fine. It's all good. I get a lot of that from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Are you excited to be in church this morning? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Such an honor to be here. What a joy to bring God's word to you again this morning. I don't take it for granted. I sometimes feel nervous when I am about to climb up stage. A lot of people don't believe that. They say, ah, but you're a professional preacher. There's no such thing. <laughs> There's no such thing. You never get professional about preaching the gospel. You must always receive that opportunity with awe, with reverence, and with gratitude in your heart. It's such an honor to do that, and I don't take that for granted. So thank you for uh, showing up. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. What an important and extremely fundamental conversation we're about to have this morning. And I'd like you to just pay a lot of attention because that's an expensive commodity. All right? Pay attention. Give that attention because it's important that you pay attention to the things the Lord has in store for you this morning. Hallelujah. So I'd like you to just invite your folks on social media, on WhatsApp to start with. And be a little dramatic, all right? Be a little dramatic. You can say, this is the message you've been waiting for. <laughs> Listen in. All right. Um, come and hear on relationships, love, and sex. And then put the link in there. And uh, whatever it is, just, just be a little dramatic. And let's, let's get as many people listening to this. Because it's important the things the Lord has to share with our generation. All right. Through this teaching. Through this teaching. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Praise God. <laughs> okay. So, uh, have we done that? I'll give you 10 more seconds to wrap up on that. I'm sure we have the links on our platform already. So, just share it and let's get as many people viewing this. Everyone online, I celebrate you. Welcome to church. And I believe you're about to have a very fantastic time in God's presence. An illuminating time. A time of revelation knowledge. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Now, the first thing I'd like to share with you is the fact that everything rises and falls on the quality of life that it possesses. I'll say that again. Every single thing in life rises and falls based on the quality of life that it possesses. Inherent in a chicken is the inability to fly, even though it's a type of bird. But it does not have the capacity to fly. No matter how much it tries to flap its wings, it cannot practice into flight. Do you see you can only practice into perfection what is inherently possible within your life, within your nature, within the characteristics of your type of person. Do you see? So a chicken can never practice into flying. Praise God. A cat cannot practice into roaring. It is not within itself because the life that it possesses does not have the capacity to sustain that performance. Do you see? So biologically, humans define themselves by their superiority over animals. And we call ourselves what? Higher animals. 
because we are quote-unquote more sophisticated than animals. We have the capacity to think, reason, make decisions in a way that animals cannot because animals pretty, pretty much are dominated by their instincts. They can't decide right or wrong. They just move as their hormones are driving them. But we are different and that's what makes us different. We are different from animals because the quality of life that is resonant within a human being is completely different than that which is resonant in an animal. So an animal cannot be so civilized that you kiss an orangutan. Right? A zebra cannot be so attractive that you lie in bed with it. A rabbit cannot be so neat that you say, you know, let's go out, go out on a date. Because it does not matter the, the level of sophistication that an animal has within the context of its animal nature that will exalt it to, its, to a level where a human being can begin to relate with it as a pair. There is no level of sophistication and improvement and growth and development and civilization it can ever assume that will now make you call it a partner. Praise God. Because biologically we are superior. In the same vein, in the same vein, spiritually, as Christians, we must define ourselves by the superiority that a believer has within the context of his life, over and above the world. This is important what I'm about to share with you. You cannot begin to see yourself on the same strata as the world. The moment you got born again, there was a very serious and massive difference the Lord placed into your spirit that made you completely different from the Regular person out there who is not born again. Do you know that? You're so different. The same way I could look at an animal and say, this is not something I should be having a, an intelligent conversation with. Because no matter how much I try to communicate it to this guy, he does not have the capacity to receive what I'm saying. Because the quality of life within him is not capable of exalting it to my standard. So I am not trying to exalt it. I only recognize it for the life that it possesses and I move on. Praise God. The same is true about Christians and non-Christians. And this is not about me denigrating any, any person or making them feel like they're less human. But if you're not a Christian, there is a quality of life you do not possess. There is something you do not have that I have. There is something about me that is different from what you carry. There are so many levels of markers, markers, key markers that makes me different from someone who is not born again. Bible says, henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I be upon my body the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 17. 1 John 5, 4. These are some of the key markers. I may want to start writing them down because, you see, we are going on a very long ride this morning. Amen. 1 John 5, 4, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Only those that are born of God can overcome the world. It doesn't say that of those who are not born of God. Only those who are born of God. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Those who are not born again cannot boast of this dimension. They can't boast of this reality. They cannot say they overcome the world. The world is overcoming them every single day. But we are overcomers. We are world overcomers because we are born of God. I'm different from someone who is not saved. I'm a believer. I'm born of God. I overcome the world. 
So as a believer, one of your key markers is that you're a world overcomer. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm a world overcomer. I'm a world overcomer. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. One of the key markers is that I'm brand new. I'm brand new. I'm not Jalopy. I'm brand new. Praise God. Tear. What? Whatever the tear. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm brand new because I'm a new creature. All things are past that would behold. All things have become new. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Bible says, therefore being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. I'm incorruptible. These are your key markers. You're a world overcomer. You're brand new. You are incorruptible. Praise the name of the Lord. That's who you are. These are the differentiators. You are not, you don't have the same life. The quality of life in you is so far out. It's so superior. Praise God. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Bible says you are what? A chosen generation. A what? A royal priesthood. A what? A holy nation. A what? A peculiar people. Bible says you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Colossians 1 13. Um, having delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us to the kingdom of his dear son. He says you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the next verse that is of key importance to me. He says which in time past. Look at this. He says in time past you were not a people. Oh, don't you understand? He didn't say you were not a people of God. He says you were not a people. So whenever God was counting people on earth, he skips those who are not born of God. He says before in time past, whenever I'm counting human beings I can relate with on earth, I skip those that I cannot relate with because they were not a people. What makes you a people is your relationship with God. He says in time past, you were not even a person. God is not trying to be derogatory. He's just being very realistic. Because anyone who has no relationship with God, the evaluation of scripture about his status in the scheme of things is that he is not a person. How many on people <laughs> are in the world today? People who are not people. Because how God views a person is how the person really is. It doesn't matter what you think about the person. He may have all the cars in the world, he's not a person. He may be the CEO of a bank, he's not a person. He may be the most influential person on Instagram, he's not a person. Highest number of followers, he's not a person. Because Bible says in time past, you were not a people. But Bible says right now, you have become the people of God. He says before you had not obtained mercy. He says now you have obtained mercy. There are key markers. You are different in every sense of the word he that is from above is above all things you are different tell yourself I'm different these are the key markers you're so different you see the, the challenge is that you try to equalize yourself with things that are already so far from you you're not the same with someone who is not a Christian you're different of course I'm gonna get to Romans chapter 8 how can we talk about your new creation reality without Romans chapter 8 
Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. No one who is not in Christ Jesus has access to that status of no condemnation. Anyone who is not in Christ Jesus, every single day, they are barraged with several temptations and condemnations and all offenses that the devil can throw at them and they don't have anything to win with. There is no scripture to defend themselves with because they are not inside Christ. Bible says because those who are in Christ are the only ones that have access to this provision. It says there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are inside Christ Jesus. To them who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the Lord, the spirit of life inside Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. It says for what the law could not do. That means there is a limitation on the law of sin and death. There is something it cannot do. But for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there is no limitation on that spirit. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Remember what that nigga said? He said what? He said, except you are the God-fearing type. Because for me, I can't cope. There is a limitation on what the law of sin and death can produce in a man. There is what the law could not do. He was weak in the flesh. But I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. For what the law could not do. In that he was weak in the flesh. God sending his only begotten son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled. Not in the one that fulfilled the righteousness of the law. But so that it can be fulfilled in those that believe on him who fulfilled the righteousness of the law. On their behalf. So when the law comes with a long roll of 212 ceremonial laws. And it begins to ask me, have you done number one? I say, check. Yes, I have. Have you done number two? I say, check. Yes, I have. And he reads through all the several 600 whatever types of numerical figure you want to place on those numbers of ceremonial laws he goes through all of that list and he keeps asking you have you done this i say yes he said when did you do it in christ jesus that's all you need to say you ask when did you do when did you do that i did not see you do that you just say what in christ jesus because the righteousness of the law was not fulfilled in the one who fulfilled the righteousness of the law it was fulfilled for our sake that the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us who believe in Christ. Those, are, those of us who are inside Christ. That is why there is no condemnation. Because whatever it is, the devil comes with an accusation to you. You can as well say, in Christ Jesus, I'm justified. Therefore, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, being justified by faith, I have peace with God. These are key markers. I am the only one that I can say that because I'm born again. If you're not born again, you cannot say that. I have peace with God. But I can say I have peace with God. I have peace with God. I and God are cool. We can have conversations. We can sit over a coffee table. We can have gist. We can talk. We can chat. We can be cool because he's justified me. I am justified by faith. Therefore, I have peace. Key markers. How many key markers have you written already? Key markers. Key markers. You're different. You're a world overcomer. You're a brand new creature. What are the other key markers? Oh, glory to God, you are incorruptible. Hallelujah. You're a chosen generation, a peculiar person, a holy nation. Hallelujah. You were called to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the name of the Lord. You were not a people, but now you're a person. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. You have been justified by faith. You have peace with God. These are key markers. They make you different. 
You're not the same with an unbeliever, guys. You say, eh, let's be real. No, no, no. This is not trying to be realistic. This is God's word. You've got to learn to line up with God's word. Don't correct God's word with your political correctness. So, no, no, no. God's word, that's not how to say it. You're hurting people's feelings like that. Ah, <laughs> praise God. Nothing can be done against the truth but for the truth. In a generation where there's so much my truth, cannibalized truth, mutilated truth, fragmented truth, you have a portion of truth that I do not have, you have a portion that is, is consistent with you that is not consistent with me, so I cannot recognize your truth <laughs> because it's so different from my truth. And we all are trying to coexist in a world that is so divergent in terms of their relationship with truth. There is only one truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So it's better to line up with God's word than to line up with the political correctness. It's better to line up with God's word than to line up with the trend of your age. Praise the name of the Lord. What the Lord could not do because it was weak in the flesh. God sent his only begotten son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteousness of the Lord can be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they who after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For a carnal mind is empty against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be, so I am subject to the law of God. These are the key markers. I can submit to God. A person who is not born again cannot choose to submit to God, because a carnal mind is enmity against the law of God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot. It is an impossibility. They cannot please God. One of the key markers of my being a Christian is that I can please God. I can say, God, I want to please you and I then go ahead and please him because I am born of God that of the flesh cannot it is a practical impossibility for someone who is not born again to please God that are in the flesh cannot please God <sighs> but you are not of the flesh but of the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you and remember he that hath not the spirit of Christ he is none of his and says and if Christ be in you, your body is dead. You see, KJV says because of sin. Your body is dead to sin. And your spirit is alive to righteousness. Your body is dead to sin. And your spirit is alive to righteousness. If Christ be in you, your body is dead because of sin, KJV. And your spirit is alive unto righteousness. I can choose righteousness because my spirit is alive unto righteousness. Look at the helplessness with which those guys were speaking. How can you, how can you not have sex uh, when you are not impotent? How will I not test my property before I, I, I buy it? Uh, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Even if they wanted to. Yeah, this is the Christian way. Bible way. But me, oh, I can't try it because I'm not of God. So I don't have the capacity within me to please God. The same way Nokia 310 cannot browse. I can't. It is not within the infrastructure of my components. I can't please God because I'm not born of God. But if you're born of God, your body is dead to sin and your spirit is alive unto righteousness. Your spirit is alive unto righteousness. If Christ be in you, if Christ be in you, your body is dead to sin. You can say no to sin. Oh, glory to God. Some people cannot say no. Once they bring it to them, ah, I can't help it. I can't, I can't help it. 
I've seen it. I, I can't help it. I have to go. I have to get sucked into that tunnel of sin and destruction. I can't help it. But I can say no to sin. Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Teaching us. Huh? Teaching us to say no to sin. Teaching us to say no. To every unrighteousness and ungodliness. And to live a righteous and sober life in this present world. Praise the name of the Lord. So then in the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. Dwells in you. He that raised up Christ. He that raised up Christ from the dead. Shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Every time you say no to sin you have been quickened. Every single time. Because you who were dead in trespasses and sins have he quickened. You were dead in trespasses and sins and then he quickened you. He quickened you by faith. He quickened you and transported you, translated you, transferred you, bought you with a price. The biggest transfer price in the world. Bigger than any football star. Bigger than any athlete. Bigger, bigger. He bought you with a price. The precious blood of Jesus changed your orientation, changed your background, your history, made you a completely new creature. All things are passed away. You have he quickened. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. None of the flesh live after the flesh. For if you lift up the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit, through your spirit that is not alive unto God, if you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh, he says, you shall live. You shall live. For as many as are led by the Holy Ghost. Key markers, I'm led by the Holy Ghost. Those who are not born again cannot be led by the Holy Ghost. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave power to become sons of God I can be led by the Holy Ghost I can choose to be led by the Holy Ghost as many as are led by the Holy Ghost they are the sons of God they are the sons of God for God has not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry our father Galatians 4 6 because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into the same spirit not a caricature spirit not a downgraded spirit not a stepped down spirit the same spirit in his son he has sent it into your heart because you are a son he has sent forth the spirit of his own son into your heart crying Abba father first Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound man. God has not given us the spirit of bondage again, of fear, but the spirit of what? Adoption, whatever we cry about, Father. Praise the name of the Lord. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The spirit himself. So he didn't just send it into your heart as a dumb spirit. <laughs> Bible says you are carried away by all these dumb idols. They can't, they can't speak. They can't witness anything in your heart. This one is not a dumb spirit. The spirit speaks what expressly. Glory to God. And the moment he stepped into your heart, the first thing he started doing was to speak. He began to witness of the fact that you're a child of God. Don't worry. Don't, don't mind the devil and what he's saying. You're a child of God. You are born of God. You're a world overcomer. You're a new creature. You're a peculiar person. He began to furnish you with confidence, assurance, conviction. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. But if so be that we suffer together with Him, we shall also be glorified together. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, I believe. He says, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment. He says, it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I have something called the hope of glory within me. Colossians 1.27. Christ inside of me is the hope of glory. Even though I'm going through a dark time, I can say that Christ is me is the assurance that it will not end in darkness. Because Christ in me is the hope of glory. If I'm not born again, I don't have that confidence and that assurance. Because I cannot look at my light afflictions and say it's but for a moment. I will get depressed under the weight of that depression or that infirmity or that challenge because I don't have the hope of glory inside of me because Christ is not within me. But if I'm inside Christ and Christ is within me, Christ in me is the hope of glory. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The light afflictions which is bought for a moment, it works for us. Far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. For the earnest expectation of the creature. Patiently awaits the manifestation of the sons of God. God is waiting on you. There is a deadline. There is a sense of urgency. God is waiting for you. And not just God, the creator, the universe, the constellations, the firmaments, the heavens. Every single thing is on tiptoe waiting for you to emerge. Waiting for you to burst forth into the, in, in the true likeness of what you were created to be. Glory to Jesus. How many key markers have we written? If you were counting. See, some have written two. Some others have written 15. So it all depends on what the Holy Ghost is telling you as a key marker in your life. As we're going through those scriptures, the Holy Spirit may have ministered particularly into your heart and said, this one is, is for you. <laughs> Praise God. How many key markers have you written, Pastor Mike? Nine. Fantastic. Praise God. Key markers all over the scripture. Key markers, differentiators. What makes you different from someone who is not born again? Because at the level of bios, we are higher than animals. At the level of spiritus, if there's any word like that, all right? At the level of the spirit, we are higher than those who are not born again. We are world overcomers. Hallelujah. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? So that's the quality of life you carry. That's the quality of life you carry. <laughs> Praise God. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. The Bible says, do not give that which is what? Holy. To what? To dogs. Now you know who he's referring to as dogs. God is not trying to be disrespectful. He's just trying to say exactly what it is. He says, do not give that which is holy unto dogs. He says, do not cast your pearls unto swine, because this is what swines will do. Swines will trample it under their feet, and Bible says they will turn again, and they will rend you, because swine will behave swine-ish, because they are swine. They don't have the capacity to receive the quality of gifts called pearls. So whenever you give your pearls to the swine, you are not elevating the standard of the swine to the level of the pearl. You are bringing your pearl down to the level of the swine. Whenever you interact with the dog, it is not the dog you have exalted to the level of the human. You are the one that has involved yourself in bestiality. You are the one that has degraded yourself to the level of that dog. So he says, do not cast what is holy onto dogs. You don't holify the dog by doing that. You yeah, dogify yourself. Huh? That's exactly what you do. You don't cast what is holy onto dogs. And it does not mean you don't talk or interact with those who are not born again. That's not what he's saying. There is one thing that he's referring to there. Your pearls. Your precious substance. 
that which is holy. You don't join it up with something that is not holy. What the Bible calls a dog. You see, ah, this is scriptural language. I didn't call these people dogs. Bible says beware of dogs. He's not talking about the, what, what are those Alsatians and stuff. He's not, call, he's not talking. He says beware of dogs. Beware of the concession. Beware of those who are not of God. That's exactly what he's saying there. Beware of dogs. Do not cast what is holy to dogs. And those sounds very, ah, they're cringing at those words like, ah, can you call human beings dogs? They were not a people. <laughs> so there has to be another nomenclature given to them because they are not a people. And this, sincerely, if you're not born again here, this is your reality. Sometimes we try to be too user-friendly when we are talking about salvation. Too user-friendly, you know, if you come to Christ, you'll be, you know, a little bit improved. There is a transfer. There is a change. Something dramatic happens. It's not a gradual evolution of your person. It's a complete change. Change. Everything changes. So sometimes you've got to tell people exactly what God calls them. God says, if you're not born again, you're a dog. How degrading. But that's the reality of anyone who is not of God. You are not a people. Oh, God. So he says, do not cast out which is holy to dogs. Do not give your pearls to the swine. Ah. Ah. Because you do not exalt the status of the swine or the dog by casting your pearls. You bring yourself down to their level. This is what the Bible is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 14. He says, be not unequally yoked together. He already says it's unequal. He now says it is yoked. How do you yoke what is already unequal? That's exactly what you try to do when you yoke yourself with an unbeliever in sex. Be not unequal. It's already unequal. You can't equalize what is unequal. But you say, you know what? I want to yoke with you. Martini, can you come forward, please? Amen. Praise God. The Lord sent you here for such a reason as this. You're even almost as tall as I am, and I'm standing on an elevated platform. Praise God. This is not to derogate. I mean, I don't know if you, if you find it insulting for people to say you're short. I think it's just a description. It's not... Amen. It's not an insult in any way, okay? It's just a description. Just like I'm about to describe him as a tall person. It's just a description, okay? So any short person to volunteer so that I won't have to be the one to call you. Oh, can we celebrate her? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's your name? Abigail. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Don't even say hi, Seth. She has to get high. Now, can you attempt to walk from here to that speaker on the same level with her, almost as though your necks were yoked together. So attempt to yoke yourself, of course, imaginarily now. You bend to a level, and your head is just going to be on the same level because you are trying to be yoked with someone who you are not equal with. So can you do that, please? Yeah. No, just as low as she is. Yes. Now begin to walk. Both of you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Then when you get there, you now turn again. Sorry, you have to maintain that yoke. You've got to maintain that yoke. Can you walk back again? How long can you do this for? How long can you continue to do like this? Can you do it one more time? Please, I'm sorry. Apologies. Can you just try it? How long? I, I, she's the only one living her life. She's the only one laughing. She's the only one having fun. Can you try one more time? Just bend to a level. It says, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Remember, you have been set above, fire above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Do you understand? That is how high you are. That's why you are this tall. Praise God. And now you are trying to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever that is dead in trespasses and sins. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? What concord does Christ have with Belial? Look at the words God is using. Belial. He says, what part does a believer have with an infidel? He may be fine. He may be cute, broad shoulders, six packs, six figures, six, six, six. He may have all of those elements to him, but you have just become unequally yoked together with him. No matter how hard you try to maintain this type of rapport, at some point you, you, you just have to drop off. Imagine you married before you realized. Just imagine. It now says, what agreement? What agreement? As the temple of God with idols. So, he, oh, see his beards. Oh, my God, see, 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 he's so charming. Idol. You see, I, I wish we can see things the way God sees them. What you're calling a Yoruba. <laughs> Anyways, and I think that captures it quite well. Anyways. But what you're calling the love of your life is an idol. It's an infidel. It's darkness. It's unrighteousness. It's Belial. Because that was the highest form of insult God could throw at anybody in scripture. Sons of what? Belial. Like he's angry already. Like when you want to know that God is angry, he will use that word. Sons of Belial. Offered strange fire. <laughs> that is how he shows that. See, this is the the most irreconcilable type of person from me. So far, sons of Belial. And he begins to say, what is the relationship? He loves me. He doesn't. He does not understand what love means. How could he love you with what he does not know? He loves me. He makes me feel good. You are under a delusion, man. Praise God. God bless you. Can we celebrate them? What fellowship? What fellowship? So the first criterion for marital readiness eh, is your ability to recognize the quality of life a person carries. The first criterion for marital readiness 
is your ability to recognize the quality of life someone carries. The first time God looked at man, he said, it is not good for this man to be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. You would imagine that the next thing Adam would see would be Eve. But the first thing God says, you know what? Begin to name and categorize this quality of lives within the buckets that they belong. He brought all the animals to Adam and says, begin to name them. I thought you were going to just bring the woman. Now that I have discovered that it's not good for me to be alone. Why are you giving me this type of assessment? Because the first thing you tell God to show to him that you are ready for marriage is your capacity to recognize the quality of life a person carries. So you saw the orangutan and the monkeys and the baboons that looked like him, but he says, no, you are a shade lower than me. You are not man. So he called all the animals by their real names. He didn't call any one of them woman because none of them was consistent with him. Your first criterion is not that you want to have love in your life too. It's not that you want somebody to be calling you at night as well. It's not that you want to be receiving Valentine gifts. That is not the sign of readiness. The sign of readiness is your capacity to recognize. I know the strange thing about this capacity. Until you become someone who is fully expressing the life of God, you are not able to recognize another person in that same category. That's the sad thing. So you can't be recognizing something at a level higher than you. Don't you understand? If you're a sniper and I'm a sniper and we never met before and we shake our hands, I'll probably know from the first handshake that you're a sniper. But if you're not a sniper, you couldn't tell the difference. Because you're not. It takes you to be one to recognize one. It takes you to be one to recognize one. This is why you've been attracting the wrong guys. This is why. You want the right guys, but you're attracting the exact opposite of what you want. Because you are not what you need. So the proof that you're ready is to be one. It's not to look for one. Because once you are one, you can easily recognize one. <sighs> Praise God. So it is not your ability to fantasize. But your ability to what? Recognize. Because when you are fantasizing, you are fantasizing about features. Have you ever seen anyone fantasize? You see... Because the life of God makes you sober, vigilant. You are very much in your right mind. All right? It's a sign that you are of God. Sound mind. Soundness of mind. You are not losing your mind. All right? But when you are not in Christ, and when you are not using the operating system of God, you are really not able to be sober. All you are thinking about is his features. How he treats you, his charming nature, his six-packs and all those interesting physical features that you'd like to be associated with. You're really not attempting to recognize. You're just fantasizing. And those are the things that attract you and you say yes to someone with whom you have not really tried to assess the quality of life that he carries. Which brings me to the topic of my teaching. Rather than be crazy about the love of your life. You need to just flip the switch. Look at the life of your love. It's very simple. You've been going up and down. The light of my life. The Lord of my life. I've seen all kinds of permutations. Just flip it. The life of your love. The quality of life within him. 
is what you should be more passionate about recognizing than fantasizing about the love of your life. I know someone in this room who fantasizes, well, of course, joke, jokingly, about Mohamed Salah, right? She likes Salah a lot. Oh my God, he's so cute. <laughs> I like him too, anyways. Praise God. So my point is, how well are you able to recognize the quality of life in this person? Listen, the reason why a lot of people choose wrongly in marriage, I'll show you. Luke 12, 15. Luke 12, 15. That was what Jesus answered and said unto them, Beware of what covetousness. Beware of covetousness. He says, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Hmm. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. So the challenge is that you're trying to recognize a man who you have been blinded by his possessions. You have not found his life because his life does not consist. You cannot tell his life from his possessions. You cannot tell the quality of person he is by his huskiness, his husky voice, his beard, his chest. You cannot, those are his possessions. As long as you can see them with your carnal senses. Those are his possessions, his car, his houses, his, his voice, how he walks, you know, his panache, his, his charisma, the way he dresses. All those things are his possessions. A man's life cannot be defined by the abundance of the things that he possesses. You, for you to recognize the quality of life a man has, you've got to be able to rip him apart of his possessions. And then you can see through those possessions and see the quality of life that he truly possesses. You do that in two ways. By discernment and by time. Two things. Discernment. Discernment does not need time. You see it, you, you know it. But many people may not go down that route because even discernment will need time to validate. What I've seen in discernment, I will still need time to validate it. So time is the ultimate test of the fruit of a man, which is the biggest evidence of the quality of his life. You see why you must not jump into relationships. You see why you cannot say you are getting married after three months. You see why you can't just say, oh, uh, anybody can pretend for six months. But time will put pressure for him to reveal himself. Time. So a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. If all you are doing is get fascinated and fantasize about his possessions. You are not loving his life. You are loving his possessions. When he gets married, he's getting married to his life. You are getting married to his life. You are not getting married to his possessions. By the time you, he now begins to unleash his life into you. And starts beating you. And starts kicking you. And starts dishonoring you. And starts to abuse you. Then you say, ah, this is the life of the person that I married. But you thought his life consisted in the abundance of the things that he possessed. That were charming, attractive, and all those fantastic and attractive things. But you didn't realize that you needed to rip him apart of all of those possessions with time. And then see the true essence of what he actually is. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. So when I ask you, who is he? Don't tell me of all the things that he possesses. Those are the things that he possesses. That is not where his life is. His life is within the veil. It's within that veil. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Praise God. <laughs> so the primary reason why people choose wrongly is covetousness. Simple. When people divorce, they didn't become uglier. Sometimes they're even richer. But now you have discovered the life. You don't like it, so you step out. So divorce is a product of delusion. They married the wrong thing. Right? They thought they were marrying the life which was in his possessions. They realized that his life was different from the abundance of the things he possessed. And now they realize that this is not what I wanted to marry. I've been scammed, right? And this is what produces all of the trends and philosophies about men and women alike in the world today. And I'm going to share a good illustration with you. I go to a very dark alley at night. There is a mango tree there. There are hundreds of man mangoes on the mango tree. Now, out of those hundreds of mangoes, there are some that are bad, some are good. And some of them have fallen to the ground. Some bad, some good on the ground. But it's a dark alley. So I go there at night, and then I pick up one of the mangoes, and I taste that mango. I, I said, this is bad. Uh, I throw it aside, and I pick another mango. I taste it. Uh, this is also bad. I throw it aside. I take another mango. Uh, this is still bad. I, I throw it aside. I take a fourth and a fifth. And I'm like, what's up with all the mangoes on this tree? And then I leave angry, and I'm going up the aisle, or rather the alley. And then I, I see another guy who is coming to the same space where I'm just leaving. And he wants to go and get a mango for himself. And he asks me, um, are there mangoes there? And where am I going to tell him? Am I going to say there are five of the, people, of the ones that I tested that are bad? I will say, all the mangoes are bad. I will make a conclusion on my own limited experience. Now, if there are 99 bad mangoes on that tree, and just one good mango, if I have a torch with me, I will get that one good mango. But without a torch, there may be seven good and 30 bad. And every time I choose, I, I can choose 10 and they would all be bad. Because there would always be a 0.3 chance of me choosing the bad every single time I attempt to choose one. And so I could choose the bad one because I don't have light. So you attracting the right person is not a function of the abundance of the good people around. Did you get that? There are no good husbands outside again. Good girls are now scarce. It's a function of their limited experience. They make such propositions and assumptions based on their limited experience and they cast those same as fashions on everybody that they have not experienced. And then they tell those that have not experienced any to beware, creating a pseudo preconditioning for defense. <laughs> and then, but if there's just one good guy out there, if I have a torch with me, I'll find him. Light is what you need. Understanding is what you need. Wisdom is what you need. And that is why God gives you pastors after his heart. To feed you with knowledge and understanding. Because these are the things that will form the very crucible and the foundation of your relationship. Because if the foundation is destroyed, even the righteous will be clueless. For by what? Wisdom is a house built. And by understanding it's established. And through knowledge, its interiors are filled with precious, precious things. Why? Amen. <laughs> why is sex before marriage a big deal? Why, why, why is it a bad thing? Ah, I hope the Holy Spirit will help me communicate this thought in the most 
articulate way that would help you understand. Why has God made the same activity that is supposed to be the most sacred of all, the most pleasurable? Maybe if the most sacred activity wasn't the most pleasurable, only those who really want the sacredness of it will go for it. But he has also made the most sacred activity the most pleasurable. Because only in sex can you be invited to the ultimate office of the co-creator. That is, only sex can produce not a car, not a thing, not a biro. A whole human being is precedented by sex. Nobody can emerge in this world without two parties agreeing to have sex. So what God does is that he hangs up a spirit man in the air. He's waiting for two people to get into a room so that he can incubate that spirit man into a body. So God is waiting on sexual intercourses to introduce spirit men with great potential and possibilities and assignments into the world. He's waiting on people who will understand the very sacredness of that institution called sex. And so when he's about to introduce that life, he's waiting for people to say, yes, Lord. That is why it's called worship, because I am co-creating with God. But this very sacred act, or act right now, has now become the most pedestrian. Has now become the most casualized. So today you want to advertise a barrel, a girl that is half naked has to be there. Because we are so filled with sensuality. Why has God made the activity that should be the most sacred, the one that is most pleasurable? <sighs> because it's a sacred thing to be responsible for a whole new life. A whole human being with possibilities and dimensions and, and purpose and assignments. It's impossible to be birthed without two people agreeing to have sex. I'm sorry. Amen. So the pleasure of sex is designed to be a reward for the one who chooses to be committed to the responsibility of sex. You didn't get that. The pleasure of sex is designed to be the reward for the person who has agreed in advance to be committed not just to the pleasure of sex, but the responsibility thereof, which is the child it could produce. What we have is that people are deleting the sacredness of it by only committing to the pleasure of it. And that is producing millions upon millions of statistics in support of abortion. So, spirit men that God wanted to introduce to the world, and then just when that spirit man enters into the canal of the wo woman's womb, he's aborted. And God has to re retrieve his spirit again. There are solutions that could have entered into this world without, if not for abortion, because God sent solutions through men. Well, some of them have been aborted. So God retrieved the spirit. The body goes back and God retrieves the spirit, waiting for the right people to agree to incubate that seed under the governance of God's constitution through the word of God 
and then introduce that same seed. So there are a lot of aborted babies who are really not aborted. Their bodies may have been aborted, but their spirit men are still with God, waiting for the right couple to incubate their possibilities. Jesus was a perfect man from the beginning, but he needed two parents all through his life. All through his life. A perfect man that could have survived without any of them. Needed both of them together all through his life. The devil is attacking fatherhood. He's attacking the family institution. And it is by democratizing sex. It is by decentralizing sex. It is by making sex a very commercial property. Something that has lost its sacredness. The meaning of fatherhood. Lord help me this morning. The meaning of fatherhood is responsibility. That's the meaning of fatherhood. That's the meaning of fatherhood. You can be a man who is capable of impregnating a woman if you do not know how to take responsibility. You are not a father. And you may be a man who is here to have a child, a biological child, if you have learned to take responsibility, you are a father. Because God looked at David, a teenage boy, in the backside of the desert, overseeing sheep and lambs, and he said, this guy can father Israel. And Bible says he made him king because of the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hand at the level of the sheep. Responsibilities. This is why the devil is through sex attacking the male institution, the fathers in the society. Because only a father can choose to neglect the responsibility of what he produced. The woman is stuck with it. Even if she wanted to be irresponsible, she at least has to carry it for nine months or abort it. A man can by himself decide to walk away. And thereby, the devil is literally peddling and propagating the spirit of irresponsibility. And this is why premarital sex has very far-reaching consequences. Because as often as you engage in premarital sex, what you're doing is that you're committing only to the pleasure of the activity and you're refusing to be committed to the possibility of the responsibility of that activity. What you're doing is that you're preconditioning yourself to be irresponsible. When you eventually get married, if you ever become, you will also be irresponsible over the child that you have been responsible for because you gave birth to them, but you chose to leave them because you have conditioned yourself to always leave the responsibility component of every of your sexual engagements. This is what produces all the social ills in this world. Fatherlessness, lack of responsibility. And the devil is using the pleasure component of sex to propagate that tendency. Just be committed to the pleasure of sex. You can pay for it, as a matter of fact. If you want it now, you can go somewhere and get it now. You don't have to know the person, think about the person, wants the baby the person has. It doesn't matter. You don't care. You just have the sex and move on. A child is impossible without the mutual agreement of two people to copulate and have sex together. How do you think a child can be fathered psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually without the combination of those two elements as well? So... A child is a whole that can only be fathered and parented by a whole. And that whole becomes the combination of two people that become one. Only a whole of two people can father a child because it took both of them to create that child. 
what is happening in our world today is because when fathers become irresponsible, get child, uh, girls impregnated, and those children grow up, you see, they were produced by a whole combination of two people because when you're joined with analogy as one spirit with that person or one body with the person, now a whole produced that child, which is a whole, but you now want to parent the child with a fragment. So the devil is heavily attacking fatherhood in society. And it is by ensuring that sex has become so casualized. That's why it's in every single thing. It's in ads. It's in movies. It's in the secular. It's in the corporate world. And sometimes it is imported into the church through dressings. Because we just need to advertise the easiness and the cheapness of this thing called sex. You can have the pleasure without the responsibility. Whereas the pleasure was designed to reward only those who accept the responsibility. That is why, because it is the highest responsibility, it is also rewarded with the highest pleasure. Do you understand? So whenever you go ahead and give someone who has not committed to the responsibility of the potential child you may have for him, you have rewarded him with pleasure without his commitment to the responsibility of it. And if you have that child, you just might be too fragmented to father that child by yourself. Except by the mercy of God and introduction of the church structure. The devil is attacking fatherhood. Paul did not tell Timothy to take care of the widowers. Only the widows. There is a reason. Let me read some statistics to you. We are the most powerful people in the world, unmarried, because we can change the world in 30 years. Because everybody will be ruling and governing the world in another 30 years, we're produced by the choice of who we chose to marry now. And they are the children who will eventually emerge in the next 30 years. So there is a sin that is worse than terrorism. It is the foolishness of a life partner. If you choose wrongly, you are worse than the person who sprayed 30 children in a school. We, are, we have been conditioned to only evaluate things that have temporary impact. So he killed 30 children. Oh my God, why would he do such a thing? He's a bigot. He's a pedophile. He's a this. A family produced him or a lack of one. Ah. So listen to these stats. Because of the absence of relevant stats in Nigeria, I'll be using stats in the United States of America, which can effectively serve as an ideal microcosm of the reality in the world. We would have to add the value of the stats to reflect. That is, we'd have to add a little component of value to reflect the reality in Nigeria because of our own economic situation in Nigeria. So you can be sure that it's a bit worse here. A girl whose father leaves before she is five. Listen to these stats. A girl whose father leaves before she is five years old is eight times more likely to have an adolescent pregnancy than a girl whose father remains in her home. You see why feminism is from hell? Because feminism attacks fatherhood. And guess what? The biggest sufferers of the absence of a father is the woman. 
So a girl whose father leaves before she's five years old is eight times more likely to have an adolescent pregnancy than a girl whose father remains in her home. African-American girls are 42% less likely to have sexual intercourse before the age of 18 if their biological father is present at home. Women whose parents separated before, between birth and six years old experienced twice the risk of early menstruation. That is the presence or the absence of a father in your house, if you are a lady, can affect your biology. You can have, you will, your, 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 your puberty period will be hastened. You will menstruate earlier just because you don't have, how, how does just having a father in your house affect your biology, your DNA? Ha! These are stats, validated. More than four times the risk of early sexual intercourse, that's if, if, if their parents are not together or were separated between birth and six years old, and two and a half times higher risk of early pregnancy when compared to women in intact families. The longer a woman lived with both parents, the lower her risk of early reproductive development. Women who, have, who experienced three or more changes in their family environment exhibited similar risks, but were five times more likely to have an early pregnancy. Data from the United States Department of Health and Human Services study of child abuse and neglect strongly imply that in many cases, the absence of a biological father contributes to increased risk of child maltreatment. All the things we saw at the school in December, those things are a product of fatherlessness. But what we are doing is that we are spotlighting all the branches of the, of the symptoms. We are spotlighting all the symptoms and all the branches. There is a root problem. We leave the root problem festering. And then every time a branch shows that there is a problem here, we cut the branch and we leave the root there. And we just get hypocritical about addressing the, the branch. When there is a bigger problem. He says, conversely, the risk of abuse is three times more likely if the child is living in a single parent household. Furthermore, if the parent is cohabitating with another adult, the risk is multiplied by ten. In addition to putting children at a higher risk of being abused, those raised without fathers are more likely to become abusers themselves. This is what produces a man who is beating his wife. It is the fact that he also did not have a model to reflect the ideal virtues of kindness and warmth and love. A study by the Journal of Research on the Adolescents suggests that youths in father-absent households still had significantly higher odds of incarceration being sent to jail than those in mother-family and they call those mother family families, mother father families, they call them intact. They are one. Youths who never had a father in the household experienced the highest odds of incarceration. Over 97% of the female actors in adult videos, pornography, have history of sexual molestation and abuse, which was produced by fatherlessness. 97% of the girls in pornographic videos were produced by sexual molestations because they were also fatherless. And it is pornography that has entered into father's hearts. And you see a man who is no longer satisfied by his wife because he's watching pornography. So it's a vicious cycle. Research is clear that the lack of a father, especially in a girl's life, increases her likelihood of earlier sexual activity, higher rates of teen pregnancy, devastatingly higher rates in child abuse, and significantly higher rates of abortion. We ignore the problem of father absence to our peril. Right, Dr. Edward Crock, Associate Professor of Social Work at the University of British Columbia. 
of perhaps greatest concern is the lack of response from our lawmakers and policymakers who pay lip service to the paramount importance of the best interest of the child, yet turn a blind eye to the father absence, ignoring the vast body of research on the dire consequences of, child, of a child's well-being. It's time that the blind eyes of policymakers, parents, and everyone who cares about girls and young women were opened wide. So it is in caring for the girl child that I must establish the father. Do you understand? So what the devil is doing is that he wants to exalt the girl child by eliminating the father. The devil. And that is why as the church, whose primary responsibility is to supply the light, this is my thought, where the world is experiencing darkness and the salt taste to every sour reality of our society, it is imperative that we address the situations and it all begins with the choice of who we decide to join up with. Who we decide to marry. Who we decide to cast our peers before. Who we decide to give what is holy. If you're here, we all have been products of fatherlessness. So it's not just those who didn't have fathers. Because God is the ultimate father. Every biological father is a gap filler. He's a placeholder. Till you're introduced to the real father. I looked at a lady recently, one of my proteges, and I was asking her, you've not had a father since you were a little girl? She said, yes. I was surprised. She does not look like someone who does not have a father. Because God can replace that system early if there is no biological father to do the job. But that is not the design. That is not the design. Why does God hate divorce? We'll end on this note. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Verse 15. Malachi is after... Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Bible says, And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? Why one? Why did he make them into one? Why did he make two people one? He says that he might seek a godly seed. The reason for marriage is not for the married. It's for the carried. If you understand this, you would understand the gravity of saying I do. Why are you having to make vows and covenant on the day of your wedding? Why? Two adults. I like you, like me. Now let's be living together. Now why do you have to go in front of plenty of people and be saying, it's not for two of you. It's for the person that is not there when you were saying it. It's for the child that you will birth. Who is not in that room with you? Because they are the biggest sufferers of the consequences of your divorce at the end of the day. They were not there when you said yes. Now they have to suffer it for the rest of their lives. They have to suffer for the divorce that they were not part of. That is why you have to make a covenant. That is why you have to vow that I will stick with you. Not because of you. Because if I don't like you again, I can as well ditch you, right? But there is now a child who cannot choose. Because it's, a, it's an eternal product of our combination. And he has to be deciding to run from mommy on weekends and daddy. At, and he's so warped. His idea of masculinity is different. His idea of how a woman should be is different. And then he's relying on the social media and the influencers online, the cross-dressers, to teach him how a woman should behave, how a man should behave, and how you can crisscross from one gender to the other. 
And he's doomed to be trained by the society that has not been governed by God. Because two of you said no after saying yes. Abba. It's because of the child. It's because of the godly seed God is looking for. It's because of the godly seed. So the next time you take it seriously, who you marry, see, and that's the challenge. You fantasize. Oh, he's so, he's so, he's so, he's so. And you forget about the quality of life that he possesses. Sorry, I'm striking the guys more. Because it's fatherhood here. And you, and you neglect all of the important components. Time will not permit me. I have four archetypes of men you must avoid. But we can't, we can't get into them. Four archetypes. We'll continue from there next week. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you for this teaching. We ask that you carry this teaching on the wings of grace. And you take it to every home that needs to hear it. Take it to every heart, every ear that needs to hear it. In the name of Jesus. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Father, we give you praise. Can we celebrate Jesus? I encourage you, after this teaching is ready, send it to everybody you know. Blake, on, send it to the person. That person that you say you will infiltrate. Send it to the guy. Right? Everyone you know who is cohabitating, send it to them. And if you are doing, that, if you are doing the same thing from now, just get out. Because the consequences are far reaching. You will not be there to pack the, the, the rot. You won't be there. It is that child that has been fatherless produced by a careless mother. Careless father. That is destroying the lives of those people that they have no business being destroyed. Just because a parent, a family refused to do his job or her job. Don't condition yourself with unfaithfulness. That is what premarital sex does to you. It conditions you to be unfaithful. Amen. Let's give our offerings so that I don't end angry. <laughs> Father, we give you praise. So please give your, give your offerings and give your tithe. So I encourage you, share this teaching with everyone you know. Let this word go abroad. It's not about PowerPoint tribe or the teacher himself. It's about a generation that needs to be discipled. A generation that needs to be reschooled. In the tenets of scripture, the way things ought to be. All right? All right, so give your offerings with cheerfulness, with joy in your heart. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.